and welcome to the Investors Chronicle Companies and Market Show. I am John Human, editor at the Investors Chronicle. Uh, it's been another interesting week on the markets. They were off to the races. Everyone thought that recovery was on the way. And then the last couple of days have seen uh, some, uh, some big shifts downward again. Nobody quite knows what's going on. Nobody knows what the future looks like. And that's what we're going to be talking about this week uh, and how coronavirus may affect the world permanently. Uh, and that feature this week has been coordinated by Megan Boxall, who uh, I've got with me now. How are you doing, Megan? Yeah, I'm good, thank you. Excellent. And uh, yeah, you put a lot, of, a lot of effort coordinating this with the team as a whole, and I think you've spoken to some of the team uh, already, and we're going to bring that into the discussion. Yeah, there's, uh, I mean, there's so much to talk about in this, this topic, this what's happening, what are the changes that are being made at the moment because coronavirus, how many of these will continue after we're all allow, allowed back to work. So what sort of trends are we talking about? I mean, what inspired this, uh, this, this idea, this feature? Uh, what inspired this feature was I think we were sitting in the pub in the good old days of being allowed to see people and we were talking about how things that were already happening this was before everything went into lockdown but even before then there was people who were starting to be a bit nervous in the office people who didn't want to come in on the train so much people who wanted to work from home and we were talking about how will that have an impact will people continue to want to do those things obviously working from home occasionally is is nice not all the time all the time is too much but working from home the as and when is something that has now been proved that we can do it and will it continue and if it does continue what will the knock-on effect be on so many industries I mean most notably the property London uh, office property industry and how many of those how much of the office space we're actually going to need in in the future and then there's there's other industries as well there's travel there's communications there's the telecom stuff there's even pubs and restaurants and things are we going to be using the ones that are close to offices in in the center of cities as often as as we were before so that was where the idea came from and then yeah we spoke to people the company's team and about their sectors and which companies they thought might be impacted and what they're all doing at the moment and and what we've left with is it's quite a quite a long feature but we hope, hope we've made it broken it up so it's nice and readable. It, it is, it absolutely is. Should we have a listen to what uh, what some of the companies team, what some of the sector writers think about what's going on on, uh, on their patches? Yeah, absolutely. So you spoke to uh, Harriet Klarfeld about fitness and Nelushi Karuna Ratne about entertainment and Lauren Almeida about tech, all these being sectors that have perhaps the most to gain or the most to lose from uh, any permanent behavioural shift as a result of coronavirus. Let's have a listen to what they had to say. Hello, I'm Harriet and I am working in Surrey during the lockdown period. And um, the area that I've been looking at quite closely is the disruption taking place in the fitness world as a result of coronavirus and and leisure more broadly as well. I'm Nalushi and uh, what I've been looking at for this feature is the media and entertainment sector. The trends we're seeing right now in terms of the effects of coronavirus and the impact we'll see moving forward and potentially more long term. Hi, I'm Lauren. I've been looking at fintech, especially payment services in fintech and I'm working from Harrow in the lockdown with my family. What we're all doing and how we're recording a podcast from from our homes all around the UK obviously normally we'd be in the office all together but it is yeah it's a trend that we probably won't all continue to work from home all the time but this is something that we have been surprisingly able to do I mean we're now feels like a thousand weeks in but it is only this is the third issue that we've we've put out from home. Lauren, in particular, this is something that you've been looking at in, in terms of the software company. So what, what are you using? What are we using as a team while we're in lockdown? We've been using Google a hell of a lot, especially just coordinating news 
kind of dumping all of our ideas in a, in a Google Doc every morning. And even now we're using Google Hangouts to, to record this podcast. And I think it's highlighted how important it is to kind of have infrastructure that allows for remote working. There are obviously lots of people using Zoom, Microsoft Teams, for example. And there's a great chart in this week's feature basically showing that these companies have been outperforming the S&P 500. And it's it's really interesting because these companies are kind of integral to how other businesses can sort of stay afloat during this and integral to how operations can continue smoothly. Absolutely. And it's, it's also not even just communicating as a as a workplace from home like we're all having to communicate with our families and our friends like the house party app is suddenly like number one all over the world and I I mean I hadn't heard of it until (laughs) until lockdown happened so communicating in general is something that has is so important as we're all stuck in our homes the other big sector which everyone is particularly interested in obviously is entertainment what are we doing and Nalushi do you want to just talk us through what what's happening there if you weren't watching Netflix before all this happened I mean you probably are now um one of the big investment trends if you like was kind of the streaming wars before all this came along and this has just gone and thrown petrol on the fire Netflix Amazon Apple they're all competing before I mean you see articles now who's got the best quarantine tv um, we're all spending a lot more time streaming. I mean, you just look at the data. I think it was the first three weeks of March, global streaming time went up 20%. And during the daytime, it's 40%. Wow. Yeah. In one weekend alone, I think it was the 14th to 15th of March, the UK spent, I think it was 15% more time streaming. So we're all staying at home because we have to. And what are we doing? We're sitting there in front of our TVs, our laptops, just you know, watching all this content. And there was like a conspiracy theory going around that, Ooh, is Netflix behind the coronavirus? I mean, it sounds mad, but actually the more likely candidate here is probably Disney because they pretty much timed the release of Disney Plus perfectly. I mean, I held out for just over a week before I whipped out the credit card and signed up to it. So, I mean, I'm probably not the only one out there either. I actually haven't spoken to anyone who hasn't signed up for it yet. Have Lauren and Harry, have you both? Well, I've my brother had, so I've popped onto his subscription. I, mean, I bought it a month in advance, so um, <laughs> I had on the coronavirus bandwagon. But yeah, I mean, it's crazy. They couldn't have got their timing much better. I was one of the skeptics before. I was like, oh, well, how many streaming services can you sign up to? I mean, only with Amazon because, you know, I'm getting the Prime delivery. It's just an added bonus to be getting Prime Video. And then a Christmas treat was Netflix. I was like, okay. And then I was like, okay, I'm not getting Disney. I'm going to be disciplined. I'm not doing it. Did it. So where do you think this leaves other forms of entertainment, like the cinemas and even like theme parks and bowling alleys and stuff like that? Like the kind of things that we were doing before all this happened to entertain ourselves, uh, obviously are now shut down. Are we going to be going back to all of them in the same way now that we've got all these streaming services to entertain us? This couldn't have come at a worse time for Cineworld, to be honest. I mean, it's already carrying a ton of debt. It's trying to fund this huge acquisition of a Canadian cinema complex where it's managing to keep theatres open during this crisis. What are people actually going to watch? They've postponed the release of the Bond film, the final installment of the Fast and Furious franchise. So you're keeping these theatres open, but what is there actually to draw in the cinephiles? They've done a scenario where they could lose about two to three months of revenue and actually breach their financial covenants. So who knows if Cineworld will actually survive this crisis? And I'm not going to say we're going to see, you know, the death of cinema after all this is over, but the entertainment space could look a lot different coming out of this. The production studios are certainly cottoned on quickly. You've got the likes of NBC Universal just putting some of their new films straight out onto digital platforms. 
Disney itself, they've brought up the release of Frozen 2 and the final Star Wars film and just put it out on Disney+. Plus. They were going to come out a lot later in the year. You've got the advancement of technology as well. Soon we might all have 8K uh, resolution on our TV screens. So if we can all sit at home and watch our films, you know, like that, there's not that much of a reason anymore if you think about it to go out to the cinema you've got things like the netflix party extension on google chrome so we can all sit in our individual homes you know and watch these films with our friends and family so it does look like things are going to be a lot different when we come out of this yeah it's a it is an interesting um interesting to see what how we're all going to behave after all this happened and the other area where behavior i mean it's had to change at the moment and potentially will continue to change is how we're keeping fit, how we're keeping active. Um, and Harriet, that's something you've been looking into. Yes, it is. As we're working from home, we're also apparently working out from home too. I think like a lot of industries, it feels like coronavirus has been an accelerant or a catalyst of a shift that was almost already underway towards tech-enabled exercise platforms. I think it's no coincidence that shares in the indoor cycling group Peloton have actually been fairly resilient over the year to date. I think when we wrote the feature this week, the shares were down about 9% over the past three months, whereas the S&P 500 were down by, was down by more than a fifth. So Peloton floated last autumn in America. It sells internet-connected bikes, which you can set up at home. They come with a screen via which you can live stream classes with real instructors. I think in the past, people have suggested it's almost like the Netflix of fitness. But I can imagine that people who feel frustrated about not being able to leave the house, I think potentially people who didn't really enjoy going to the gym before might feel, actually, now I've got to be inside all the time. I really should be focusing on my fitness. So using those sort of connected platforms is, is potentially going to be increasingly popular at the moment. Interesting where that leaves the gyms, where, where it leaves the current, which we obviously can't use. Um, yes, at the moment. exactly. And, I mean, I for one have have spent quite a lot of money on uh, on home gym equipment. And I know Mike Ashley was very keen to keep people buying home gym equipment from Sports Direct. Will we continue to use our, our home gym equipment or, or like log in something like Peloton, do you think, when all this is over? I think things will certainly change on the other side of this. People are realising that it actually is relatively easy to work out from home. The problem is that you do need that equipment. Not everyone has it. Not everyone is going to have the financing or the room and their accommodation available to fit in something like a Peloton bike or treadmill, which is another thing they offer. I do think that the social aspect of the sort of physical gym won't disappear overnight. It has that sophisticated kit that people tend to be used to using. And also it has instructors, which Peloton does as well, but there's not quite, it's not quite the same when you're in a sort of virtual community as you are in real life. The only listed gym operator in the UK is the gym group. And actually, an interesting trend we're seeing, which suggests that Peloton might not necessarily benefit from sort of first mover advantage, is that as these physical gyms are closing, they seem to be coming up with or extending their existing online offerings. So Gym Group has actually set up a partnership with a company called Fit, which is the number one fitness app in the App Store. And the idea is that although their physical gyms are closed, they can still connect with their subscribers in a different way. And I think if that works out for them and for other conventional gym companies, it may be that when they reopen their gyms, they actually have this additional way of uh, keeping engaged with their consumers. I, for example, think that if I tried out one of those online digital offerings and really enjoyed it, I'd probably keep up with it after Mm. the gyms reopen because you can see how in the evening or at the weekend or on holiday, that's probably wishful thinking, actually, you, you might feel you want to do some exercise, but you don't want to go into the gym. You could do it from home. 
point though which links across actually all three of these which are really consumer facing sectors what those changes the way that people have embraced things that maybe they wouldn't have embraced before and I mean Lauren I think that's especially something in the fintech space a lot of people who are quite skeptical about fintech and giving their payments and payment details online even people who weren't willing to give their payment details something like Netflix now they've kind of had to so Lauren do you think fintech is is going to be accelerated by what's happening at the moment? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's I think it's very similar in that this this kind of crisis has served as a catalyst for fintech, especially in payment services. First of all, cash by its very nature is kind of high risk in terms of contagion. Um, so it's actually safer to go with digital payments instead of going with cash. One other thing that we might all be used to getting used to and might carry on doing going forward, which we probably should be doing in the first place, is washing our hands more. Harriet, do you think that we will continue to love soap as much as we have done in the last few weeks? Well, I think you're completely right. I mean, hopefully we're all washing our hands anyway, but we've all become a lot more aware of how germs can move from one surface to another. And although I'm sure that we're all washing our hands far, far more now than we have ever done before. But hopefully all of our efforts will go some way to sort of stop the transmission of infection over the coming months. But having said that, I think it does seem likely that our kind of renewed interest in hygiene and cleanliness will, will stick at least for a while once we get used to it. And I think that could be good news potentially for companies like PZ Cousin. There's actually been some commentary on whether coronavirus will see off the kind of sharing economy, whether people will come, become more sceptical of the likes of Uber and Airbnb in case they're not sanitised properly. Well, delivery companies are definitely, I've received a lot of emails saying they're sort of doing contact-free delivery. Even food delivery companies like Deliveroo, I think, are leaving your products outside. That's obviously tied into us all socially distancing and isolating where necessary. But um, people are, I think, very concerned about the contagion, you know, touching things that may have come into contact with something with infection on it. So one one last point from everyone. One company that you think it might come out of the other side of this looking like it's in good shape, benefit from a trend which may be happening, and one company which is really going to struggle. Lauren, do you want to kick us off? Boku has done pretty well off, off the back of, of more people staying inside. They're also just outside of payments. There are just a huge number of US software companies that are, that are probably going to do pretty well on this. And just by their very nature, like software companies tend to be pretty high margin high portion of recurring revenues so they're kind of in a good position to weather out the storm in terms of a company that probably might struggle i think finabler is the obvious one to highlight i mean it's already dealing with like a hell of a load of other problems its auditor ey resigned earlier this week but yeah the virus has just kind of added to its to its kind of mountain of of worries nalushi media and entertainment i think the conclusion to draw from media entertainment is there's two big sectors here that's, that are going to do well. It's streaming and gaming. We've already touched on streaming and I'd probably kind of lean towards Disney, which is actually an icy buy tip. The one thing to be careful about with streaming is you've got to actually ask yourself if people aren't going to sign up to these services now when they're all having to spend a lot more time at home, will they ever? So you've got to kind of look at, be a little bit careful about the long-term picture here. Um, if we can just touch on gaming a little bit, because, you know, whilst we're all becoming couch potatoes, People are spending a lot more time, you know, on their PCs and games consoles as well. So that's really good for um, developers. And we recently tipped, uh, I think Lauren recently tipped Codemasters as well. So that's right. one to um, keep an eye on. Um, Amazon also, they're, they're the owners of Twitch. So uh, it's really popular right now. People kind of live streaming their gaming. So that's kind of another feather in the cap for them. In terms of who's not doing so well out of this crisis, we've already mentioned Cineworld. ITV is 
probably not going to do so well. They've um, warned that their advertising revenue is going to slump. Advertising revenue already kind of came off last year because of kind of the political economic uncertainty. And with coronavirus impacting this year, it's probably going to be worse for them. And you're seeing big events like Euro 2020 being cancelled as well. In terms of advertising revenue, I mean, it's not just people like ITV. You also look at the big giants as well, like Facebook and Twitter. They've kind of pulled their quarterly guidance because although people are spending a lot more time on social media, it's not translating to ad revenue because kind of marketing budgets are the first things to be cut when companies are squeezed. I think there was some analysis out there that said Google and Facebook together could kind of lose $44 billion of advertising revenue this year. So it's not just the small players, it's the giants as well. Interesting. And Harriet, finally, fitness, health and leisure? On the fitness front, I think people probably assume that Peloton would be the winner. I'm minded to disagree, if I'm honest. We looked at Peloton last year and did have some questions around it even before it IPO'd. I think it just spends so much on sales and marketing it's doing more so now. I think it's going to find itself in a much more competitive environment during this during this crisis and afterwards. It's honestly difficult to pick a winner out of the ones we've already spoken about because it's very difficult to know whether conventional gym companies like the Gym Group and Planet Fitness in America will get through this by keeping engaged with their customers digitally. They can, I think in the long run, they could be even better placed. There are other companies in the broader exercise space. So Nike, for example, which is listed in America, it's it's obviously suffered disruption as so many companies have, you know, it has a huge retail business. But online, I think it's been doing relatively well. You know, it's it's people still need exercise equipment, even if they're changing how they exercise. And that includes exercise, clothing, trainers. Okay, well, great. Thanks very much for joining in with that conversation. Really interesting, loads of interesting points to think about. And uh, obviously we'll keep everyone updated as the story progresses, as it's moving so quickly. Well, that was uh, absolutely fascinating, Megan. Thanks for uh, putting that together. But it sounds to me like tech is the big winner here. Surely it is. Uh, And I mean, not even just US tech as a whole, specifically big tech as in the big companies which have already have incredible cash reserves because yeah this is even for the software companies this is putting pressure on on their cash position so not only are they well positioned in the grander economic challenges but also they might even be be benefiting from demand and we've seen i mean like you say we're we're using google hangouts at the moment to do this and it is something that we're going to continue to do we are going to continue to use these softwares and we've got them we're not going to not use them anymore and like we've seen the share price of zoom has been just extraordinary but really zoom is still quite a small US tech company, even though its size is now massive. Its market capitalization is ridiculous. Well, it's bigger than <laughs> bigger than three of the biggest airlines in the US combined. I mean, I mean that's it's... just ridiculous. Um, so really, the questions that are now surrounding Zoom is, has it got too big? Has it grown too fast to have the cybersecurity to deal with the amount of people using the platform? Realistically, the ones that we're trusting a lot more are the Googles and the Microsofts. And even like Apple, they've got the communications networks in place that we we all trust and we use, have been using for years and years and years. And Zoom, yeah, it's doing very well at the moment, but will it continue to do well afterwards? I'm, I'm not sure it will do quite as well as the really, really big companies. But yeah, I think they are certainly the big winners. Could you see uh, any of your own behaviours changing permanently as a result of this? I am honestly questioning a little bit the gym I do miss the gym a lot, but it is expensive. And I, I love the gym, but I've got a little setup at home. I'm running more. 
And I'm questioning whether it warrants quite such hefty spending. And will gyms have to cut their membership a little bit to deal with the fact that people have realised that they can be healthy? And I think a lot of people are going out of their way to be far healthier than they were before. I mean, the parks are always, every time I go out, there's, it's always rammed. There's so many people. Well, I, I, started, I started jogging a while back and uh, there definitely seems to be more joggers on the streets uh, when I go mm. out in the evening now. Maybe that's because the, they can't get to park run at the weekend. Um, Maybe, yeah. But, uh, I mean, the one thing that, you know, I, that I'm, I'm missing most, and it will probably come as no surprise to, to readers and listeners, is the pub. I can drink at home and I've always been able to drink at home. I prefer doing it outside and socialising. So, so yeah, I'm, 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 I am wondering... You know, whether the novelty of lockdown and being able to put magazines together from from the kitchen and, you know, it, which did feel like an achievement when we did it, you know, the first couple of times. Now I'm kind of thinking I'd much rather be in the office. I'd much rather Maybe. be in the pub. <laughs> <laughs> Crucially. Um, yeah, I mean, I, this isn't something that we are going to continue to do full time. But and I do think, I do wonder if the longer this goes on for, the harder we're all going to bounce back. Like when we're all allowed back into our normal routines, how many holidays are going to be booked? Like where all those things that we've been thinking we want to do, are we going to go and try and just do them all? And I mean, a lot of the companies are going to need it. They're going to need those people to be bouncing back hard. So really is the question more, who's going to actually survive this? And if you can hang on the pubs and the restaurants and the shops i mean the high street is just it's really sad when i walk down hartford high street and they've got like stickers on the walls hopefully we'll be back soon that's really really sad but it's another acceleration of a trend that was already happening the the death of the high street and the companies that are going to survive that maybe not all of them yeah i i worry about what's going to be left at, at the end of this but i guess you know that's that's the big question how long is this lockdown going to last what is the economic damage that will be done while it's happening? Uh, and yeah, will there be my favourite pub to go back to at the end of it? I really hope so. But yeah, what about the shops? And there's so many of them. And then what knock-on effect does that have on the property companies? And that is, again, something that was being talked about a lot before, filling the spaces that are being left by companies that go bust. If a lot of them do go bust at the moment, how are the property companies going to fill them? they there isn't going to be anyone who was wanting to rent high street space in the coming months. Mm. Yeah, so perhaps it's not so much behavioural shifts that we should be worried about that are essentially uh, accelerations of trends that were happening already, but but the economic changes we're likely to see. And, uh, and uh, yeah, what what is left at the end of this very uncertain period that could last God knows how long? Perhaps Phil can shed some light on that shortly. That's been uh, absolutely fascinating. It's a fascinating feature to read. And, uh, yeah, I'd encourage you to all get out to whatever shop you can get to. Or uh, they're actually the supermarkets, I believe, are all open and still stocking the Investors Chronicle. WH Smith, you might be struggling. Or you can get online. Uh, we've, we've got lots of digital editions that you can actually pick this up and read it at. So, uh, so do that. Thanks again, Megan. Thanks. OK, and now we've got Phil Oakley on the line. How are you doing, Phil? Are you feeling any more chipper this week? No, no, I'm not. Why not? Uh, because I just... You know, I just look at what's happening, look at what and listen to what people are saying, what companies are saying, and it's not very good. What's bothering you most? That, that we don't know what, what's going on, that the future is so uncertain, or the actual you know, specifics of what we're seeing? I mean, I think what's, what's happening in the real world, in, in the economy, with companies closing down, people getting laid off, that that's very worrying. I think if you look at that and then say, well, how are the markets? 
responding to that. I, I think there's a huge amount of complacency in the stock market to this. Where do, where do you think the disconnect is coming from then? So, you know, we're seeing, I mean, he, millions, millions of people signing on uh, as jobless in the US. I think there were some figures out this morning you mentioned, Phil. Yeah, I think we've had, we've had figures actually in the last hour, which has said that 6.65 million Americans filed for, for unemployment benefits in the last week. And that was on top of quite a big number last week as well. It was on the back of 3.3 million last week. What you mentioned to me was that when you add those together, it's quite a significant figure. Well, yeah, it's 10 million, give or or take. And I think looking around the comments on on Twitter and things like that, someone mentioned that in the whole of the the financial crisis, that America lost 9 million jobs. And we've had 10 million initial claims for unemployment, or jobless claims, as they're called, in the last two weeks. And the stock market doesn't seem bothered about this at all. You know, we've had, obviously, we've had the big lurch downwards, or a big lurch downwards, and we've had this rally back, and it's sort of just paused at the moment. And I, I just think what, what we're seeing here is a just, I wouldn't say it's unshakable, but it's a very, very strong belief in the power of printed money to fix all economic ills. And I think, I think that's woefully, woefully complacent. I wish I could sit here and say, yeah, it'll be fine. Everything's going to work. All the money printing, all the support that the government's throwing at it is going to come good. And it might come good. But the problem is, is that we, we're not seeing any evidence of how and when that's going to come good. And it seems to me that, you know, you just look at, look at the, not just look at the value of the stock market indices, but, you know, look at the valuations of individual companies. And yes, they've come off a bit, but they're still incredibly highly valued, you know, compared to, you know, what you've seen at, you know, previous market bottoms. And, you know, some people might say, well, we might not get a market bottom. It's different this time. It's not going to last that long. That's a view. and That's a perfectly reasonable view or belief, shall we say. But, you know, you could also take the view and say, look, I don't know grounds for thinking that what we've got here is worse than anything that we saw 2008, 2009, and what we saw in 2002, 2003, the last time we had major bottoms of the stock market. It's quite different in that, you know, even in 2008, you know, the economy was still functioning. People were still going out. Uh, small businesses, you know, assuming they were able to fund themselves or to keep customers ticking over, could carry on. Um, you know, same in 2002, three after the dot-com crash. I've never seen anything like this. This is a sh- complete shutdown. And, and, I'm, and I'm struggling to see past it. Yeah, I am as well. I mean, it's like, you know, I've heard people refer to it, you know, as an aster- almost like an asteroid moment. I mean, it's not obviously not as bad as that. But you know, I, I talk, you know, talk to lots of people and you know, people who've got, you know, great background in history, you know, and, and financial history. And they say, look, even during the Great Plague, you know, the, the economy didn't shut down because obviously the economy then was all about farming and food, but it didn't stop. Uh, because it couldn't stop. Now, obviously, we've moved on since then. But the point I'm trying to make is that the decisions that have been taken to try and stop the spread of this virus are unprecedented. And 
nobody knows the effect not just in the short term, but also in the long term. In terms, you know, you mentioned and you had just maybe had a discussion earlier about changes in behaviour and that and that kind of thing. I, I just think that if you're buying shares today, you're, you're you know you're taking a view from an investment point of view that you think that the future profits of that of of the business are undervalued by the stock market. And if you're not, you're just gambling. You, you, you're gambling that you know. We're going to get we're going to get another rally, and you you think you can trade the rally, and it's uh, it's it's incredibly difficult. I mean, there's because we've not been here before. We're all learning, you know. We're we're all learning new stuff all the time, and I just think in a period of such extreme uncertainty that perhaps valuations of shares should be a little bit more conservative than what they, what they currently seem to be. Well, it's, it's quite interesting. Uh, one of the features we've written in the magazine this week, which was coordinated by Algie Hall, who looks after our tip section, is a watch list of great shares. And I say watch list, that's quite, quite deliberate because it's not a buy list because we're still looking at those shares thinking they could get cheaper. They're still quite expensive. These are great companies that we want to own, but we don't, still don't want to own them at this price. And I mean, you've looked at, I think some of them are in the, the list that you've put in your, uh, your alpha report this week. London Stock Exchange being a very great example. Your list, you have JD Sports as well. I mean, they can't be selling much at the moment, I have to say. So, so yeah, I mean, what, what, I guess what, what you're saying is there's going to be another leg down. And leg that's you know where the selling becomes a lot more indiscriminate, and the good companies get dragged down to to valuations that are more reasonable. We'll see. That's possible. I mean, what we've had for the last few weeks is we've had you know people like us and other people who do similar jobs to us talking about you know what might happen, what we're going to have coming forward in the next few weeks and months from a company point of view. Is they're going to tell you? what has happened and what is happening, more than they are doing now. You're going to see income statements, balance sheets, cash flow statements that are going to look really horrible. And, you know, you have a situation where companies are going to say, well, I have no idea what happens next. You know, you're seeing it now that companies are coming out, they can't provide any guidance. And when you combine that with really bad numbers, and if we get to a situation where they still can't, have any clarity of vision that you know maybe this will this will start to hammer home that actually this is quite serious and i think the the thing that's really interesting is all the eyes now are on china of the first country into this that's making tentative steps to try and get back to normality you know, obviously, you have to take what you read about China with a pinch of salt. Pinch? You know, looking at, <laughs> look Sackful. At, look at some of the more credible sources out there. You, you hear about cinemas in Beijing, which they tried to open up. They closed down again because they're, they're worried about a second outbreak. Whilst people are going back to work and you're seeing data which says that production and the economy is coming back, it's not replacing what has been lost. Yeah, there were some PMI um, figures. There were some PMI figures. I think they were showing a level of reading of 52, the ones I saw, manufacturing PMIs, yeah, which, yeah. which is expansionary, but expansionary from having lost a very significant chunk of producing capacity. So nowhere yeah. near what is lost. It's like cutting a, cutting a plant in half and, and then watching it re-sprout. 
not quite cutting in half, but you know, you've seen you've seen you know such a demolition of economic activity and output that yes, you know, it's like everything can grow from from a small base. Because there is no there is no vaccine, that there is a a real worry that as people start going back and they start mingling with each other again, that you get another outbreak and everyone has to go back and shut things down again. And you are seeing that in parts of Asia. I think you're seeing that in South Korea. It would appear, and obviously with China, the real problem for China that you know people need to think about, it's not just what goes on domestically. China makes a lot of its money by, you know, certainly its factories do, by selling to the West. And the West is sitting at home. It's not working. People are losing their jobs. They haven't got the cash. Companies aren't buying plants and machinery and components. What I'm trying to say here is that, you know, you have all this talk about V-shaped recoveries, whatever letter you want to put to a recovery, and and nobody knows. And when you don't know, does it make sense to go and pay quite high valuations for shares? Yes, they're lower than what they were. But the thing is, is that you can pay high valuations for very good companies when you have visibility. This whole, you know, do you remember the, you know, the whole bond proxy type argument that's driven all these big caps up? Well, the reason they went up is because people had, had confidence, had a lot of confidence in those companies. Now, those companies are still, you know, if you look at the likes of Microsoft, you know, which we talked about last week, then I imagine you can still have quite a lot of confidence for now in Microsoft. But as we said last week or two weeks ago, I, I forget, but you know, even, even these companies aren't immune. You know, if companies lay off people, that means they have fewer Microsoft Office 365 subscriptions. They may not buy as many new computers with Windows operating system on it. It's all about confidence. It's about confidence and visibility. You haven't got that. Even the best companies haven't got that. And I suppose if you sort of add on another, what the one thing you do have though is you've still got this. I think this view that there is no alternative, which is you know, but there is an alternative. It's called cash, because you can't lose that much money with cash. But you can, you know, companies. We're, we're continually being surprised of this every day. You know, you get companies that you thought were really, really good companies. You know, National Grid today. If you ask me yesterday for a company that you know think where do, where do you think and i've written about it, i've said it you know i think national grid was one of the safer dividends out there and it comes out and says well actually we've got we've, we're just minding our eye here we're, we think the dividend's all right for now but we're getting up you know we think our bad debts are going up because our customers are under pressure so you know you have companies like auto trader you know placing shares i mean its business is you know is drying up i just think that and this is before you even get on to, like, you know, the potential what they call second order effects from all this. You know, when you take into, you know, all the, all the debt, all the credit that, you know, it's, it's amazing. I, I went to see a doctor about four or five months ago and he just, and he asked, he asked me what I did for a living. And he just, you know, and he said to me, so it's amazing, isn't it? You know, you've got people driving about with cars that they, they can't really afford and big houses. And he said, nobody worries about it. And he said, nobody worries. About it. And I said, yeah, nobody worries about it until they lose the income to pay the debt. And that's where we are now. And, you know, I would love it if we can just, you know, the, you know, we could just click our fingers and move out of this. I like to be optimistic, but there's a fine line between being 
pragmatic, cautiously optimistic, and just in denial of the facts. Yeah, which, which I mean, I, I've commented in my editorial, there does seem to have been some, some head in the sand attitudes going on here uh, that, that, are, that are driving the stock markets up. Um, although you do mention some technical factors in your, um, your alpha report this week, short sellers closing positions and such the like, uh, which, which may have an effect. Uh, and obviously that sort of, the, when you see those bounces, you get the kind of, uh, the kind of panic buyers who are worried about missing out. So, that, so there are lots of things going on that, that are causing uh, some strange behaviour. Is there anything, Phil? I know you like to end on a positive note and you have done in your alpha report. What, what are you looking at and thinking, OK, this is, this is perhaps not as bad as, as some of the other uh, stuff we're seeing out there? You know, there are pockets of you know, surprisingly good news. Uh, I thought it was very interesting that, you know, Slower States or Seagrove this morning came out and said that, you know, we're still going to pay our pay the final dividend that we, we declared. And they actually gave quite, quite a reassuring uh, update of their business. I mean, whether it stays that way, I don't know. I mean, our Bioventix, has, you know, came out this week, which is a, uh, I know a company that uh, that Megan Megan liked. We uh, um, she, she, wrote, she, she wrote a very long alpha report in it a few years back, and uh, yeah, it continues to do yeah. very well. Yeah, and I, I like it too. I mean, and, and, and you know, it delivered fabulous, fabulous results. I mean, it's only you know a laboratory of thirteen people in Surrey making antibodies, and it's incredibly profitable, and it's come out and delivered a really, really good set of results, and lifted its dividend by twenty percent. James Halstead. You know, vinyl floor company been a favourite amongst you know long-term sort of UK quality investors. Now its results were out this week, and they weren't too bad. You know, it's slow growth, and it did cut its dividend, but it also said, "Look, with all the they're one of the biggest providers of of flooring to the healthcare sector," and it said. We're getting, there's, a, there's a lot of demand for temporary hospitals, and they're all going to need floors. And, you know, they, they, they seem to be, I wouldn't say they were bullish, but that business has, has proven to be pretty resilient. You know, there are pockets in there. You know, there are pockets of, you know, I still like, I still like businesses like Avon Rubber. You know, Avon Rubber, right throughout the last three or four weeks or five, six weeks, has been announcing new defense equipment, you know, protection, it's, uh, breathing, breathing masks and apparatus. I, I think it's one of, for me, that's one of the best businesses I can see, you know, certainly in the sort of medium, small cap space. Well, that's, that's, that the, are... that's the best performer in your fantasy sip looking at. At the uh, at the Alpha report this week, and it's it's also been one of the only two positive performers this year in the UK quality portfolio as well. It's a great company. It is a really really good company. You know, it's it's um, you know defence spending is not not going to go down. I don't think, and um, they they have got a very very good position here. Company that I I, I like a lot, and you know those shares have come off a bit. So there are businesses out there. You know, we mentioned Microsoft, you know, Microsoft, where there is, you know, there isn't a lot of, you know, it's not where you've got a lot of interaction with the public, where you're having to sell direct to the public and that kind of, and you've got a very sort of stable customer base. So you've got, you know, Bioventix is going into sort of medical research, Avon Rubber is going to the to defense. It's also got a milk business, but, but the real driver of it is defense. And... Um, you know, James Halstead is probably the sort of least preferred out of the three three shares I've just mentioned there. But 
you know, showing that there's an element of, of resilience in there. The problem is, for all those three companies, you have to pay very high valuations for. But they're they're probably they're probably three companies where you think certainly for Avon Rubber and Bioventics, there seems to be at the very least stability there, and you know backed up by you know highly profitable cash generative businesses. They kind of also do the things that the world needs most right now which is antibodies to create these, the coronavirus test and breathing apparatus, <laughs> protective equipment. So, I mean, it's, it is right place, right time as well. Yeah, I've not heard of Avon Rubber. I've not, not sort of looked at it for a week or so, but I've not heard of Avon Rubber selling breathing apparatus into the medical market. But, um, yeah. But well, it's, I mean, any, so, anything that's involved, in, as you say, sort of defence expenditure or you know, civil defence is going to be doing well right now. These are very strange yeah. times. Yeah, and again, you know, there are businesses out there that, you know, share prices have been hammered. Um, you know, there is, you, you know, you look at these companies and, yes, they've been hammered because they're in the front line in terms of travel. Um, but you think, yeah, there are, there are potential for these companies to bounce, to bounce back quite strongly. I, I think, though, what we are going to get is that some of these, should we say, more exposed companies to essentially to people, to transacting with people, so retailers, leisure, uh, we're probably going to see more placings, I would think. It wouldn't surprise me if, you know, WH Smith had to come and raise equity. And I think, you know, maybe even some of the pub companies. I mean, I mean the pub companies in particular are carrying a lot of debt yeah, I mean the, the worry. The worry surely has to be that if everyone is asking for cash at the same time, that some of them don't get it. They don't get it, or they pay a very high price for it. Um, in terms of, well, should we say the existing shareholders pay a very high price for it because the these are not coming in rights issues. This is the problem. You see, they're coming in placings, and obviously with a rights issue, the whole purpose of rights issues is to make sure that existing shareholders don't get diluted because they can buy shares in proportion to what they already own. That doesn't happen with placings. So, you know, you've got companies that are fighting to survive. And the existing shareholders are faced with survival or dilution. And quite clearly, you'll take dilution. It's just a question of how, how big it could be. But I expect more of this. But actually, once it's done, that might be a platform to actually, you know, if you see a company that gets an inflow of cash that can shore up its finances, that actually might be the buying signal for, for, for a particular business. So, so in, in some respects, you almost want to see companies coming in early to raise the money that they need, hopefully where they don't have to impose too much of a discount on the on the placing price uh, and where there isn't uh, a rush for cash uh, as everybody kind of clamours for cash at the same time. SSP, That's a very good point. SSP, for example. Something to watch out for. Thank you very much, Phil. Well, at least we ended on a reasonably positive note-ish. Uh, yeah, not bad, not <laughs> as, bad. As positive bad. as we can get at the moment. Um, let me just talk you uh, through what else we've got in the magazine. We've already heard uh, from Megan uh, about the, the cover feature, uh, and I've already mentioned the second feature, which is our watch list of great UK shares that you should be keeping an eye on uh, with the with possibility of buying, when but they perhaps get a bit cheaper. Uh, not many results. The ones that we have had have tended to be quite positive, uh, unsurprising. 
surprisingly. Uh, lots in the news section. Banks have all cut their dividends this week after pressure from the regulator. Possibly the, the same is going to happen in the insurance sector. Uh, similar pressure being uh, applied there. Um, lots in the personal finance and fund section, including a look at very uh, solid uh, income producing investment trust, which they will no doubt talk about on their podcast tomorrow. Uh, all the usual comment, bearable. Um, Phil has written about Renishaw this week, which is an interesting engineering, electrical engineering company. Lots to read. It's been a, another busy week trying to get this thing done from our kitchen tables. As I say, the cover feature is great, talking about behavioural changes that we might expect to see as a result of the coronavirus. A changed world, how coronavirus could permanently change the way we live, work and invest. I would say picking up an all good news agents, but uh, most of them are shut. Actually, news agents are open. WX is shut. Supermarkets are open, our website is open, and you can go to the Apple Store and actually download the magazine if you uh, want to read a digital copy. Thanks again, Phil, and thank you, Megan and Harriet and Lauren and Nilushi. Thank you all for listening. We will be back again next week. Speak soon. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.